Well, last week, we talked about how Christmas is for people like us, just ordinary people, not necessarily rich or famous, common people like Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, the kinds of people that God usually uses to accomplish his plans. Christmas is for people like us. But Christmas is also for people not like us. People who don't share our customs or our foods or, or even our weather. When you think of Christmas weather, what comes to mind? Snow, of course. Christmas means snow, right? For most of us in this part of the country, it just isn't really Christmas if there isn't some snow. When we dream of Christmas, we dream of a white Christmas, right? With lots of snow. Think of all those, uh, those Christmas movies. You know it's Christmas because, it, because it's snowing. Even if it's set in some other place. Tammy was watching a Hallmark show. It was down in southern North Carolina. I spent three years there. Uh, it snowed once, and it wasn't on Christmas. But there it is. Snow covering the ground. Because that's how we know it's Christmas. Even if you hate snow. And you just can't wait for, to get south for the winter. Almost everybody in Minnesota or Wisconsin says, you know, if we can just have a little snow for Christmas, then we're done with it. <laughs> snow means Christmas. Even that great Christmas special, the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Think about how it ends as as the children gather around Charlie Brown's little Christmas tree and they're singing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, what happens? It starts to snow. That's what Christmas is all about. Of course, that was written by a Minnesotan, Charles Schultz. For us, Christmas and snow go together. But for most of the world, in fact, most of the country, there's no snow on Christmas. And if you go in the, the southern hemisphere, go down to Australia, it's the middle of summer. It's time to toss another shrimp on the barbie, not toss a snowball. Different people. It's the same way with Christmas trees and, and all the trimmings, the lights, the, orna the, the ornaments, the nativity scenes. I mean, we know what Christmas is supposed to look like. It looks like this, right? This is what Christmas looks like. Trees and manger scenes and all of this. But not everybody has those kinds of traditions. I've spent every Christmas of my life, either in Wisconsin or Minnesota, even when I lived in North Carolina, we always came home and we always had Christmas like this. But one year we went on a mission trip just after Christmas and we were down in Jamaica and they still had their Christmas decorations up. And there were no Christmas trees. There was only palm trees there. And there were no strings of colored lights. They were just strings of, of paper uh, chains. Remember those? Uh, and the, uh, they had no nativity scene with the three wise men uh, bowing down before Jesus. All they had was a paper Burger King crown tacked above the cross. And... I remember thinking, how sad. How sad can you even have Christmas in a place like this? 
And then there's Christmas foods. And we've been talking about Christmas foods this whole Advent. And, you know, it's just not Christmas without Christmas cookies or lutefisque or lasagna or whatever it is that your family's traditional food is. But we hear about customs in foreign countries and, and we think, that isn't Christmas. Like in southern Africa, there's the mopane worm, giant moth caterpillars that are a Christmas treat there. You know, mm, not, nothing says Christmas like caterpillars. <laughs> or, or in Japan. In Japan, the traditional Christmas food is KFC. Now, why KFC and not some other uh, fast food joint? I don't know. But at least it isn't bugs. And then there are uh, countries like Belarus and Latvia and, and Russia where they have another just-not-right Christmas food. This is, a, this is a salad, which personally I think uh, is not right at Christmas time anywhere, of any kind, salads. You know, we're done with those till January. But the traditional Christmas salad in these countries is called herring under a fur coat. And it starts with a layer of pickled herring, which personally I consider a Christmas treat, but I know not everybody does. But you start with a layer of pickled herring, and then you pile on shredded beets and potatoes and carrots and chopped onions, and then you coat it all with mayonnaise and top it with hard-boiled eggs that are all crushed up. Mm-mm. Yeah. I'd say just say no to herring under a fur coat. It's the kind of thing that, that, it's just not Christmas. I mean, real Christmas is my Christmas. It's my weather. It's my decorations. It's my foods. The Jews in Jesus' day had that same kind of view of the Messiah. The Messiah is our Messiah. We are the ones God loves. We're the chosen people, not those other people. It's just not right to take our Jewish Messiah and give him to those other people who aren't like us. It's cultural appropriation. How can you give the Messiah to those other people who don't deserve him? But that's exactly what God does. That's what the story of the wise men is about too. About God bringing the Messiah to people that aren't like the rest of the folks in the area to those foreigners from the east. Hear these familiar words from the second chapter of Matthew. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, good Jewish town, good Jewish place, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. <clears throat> when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. 
For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And I, I think it's kind of interesting. They're quoting Micah that we've heard uh, uh, already this Advent. Uh, but if you notice, they don't quite quote, quote it uh, correctly. But either way, they get the right place, Bethlehem. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Of course, he doesn't really want to worship him. He wants to kill him. But after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now notice what the Bible does and doesn't say about these so-called wise men. How many were there? Well, our carol says we three kings. And my nativity set has three figures in it carrying three gifts. But the Bible actually doesn't say how many that there were. Yes, there were three different kinds of gifts, but it doesn't say that they each brought one each. The Eastern Orthodox Church usually counts 12. We don't really know. Three, 12, six? We know what the gifts were, but we don't really know how many there were. And the Bible doesn't say there were kings either. We call them kings often. Maybe because the prophet Isaiah in chapter 60 says, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And so we get to thinking about these folks as kings. But what Matthew calls them is magi. Magi from which we get the word magic. They were pagan followers of a religion which claimed to follow the Lord of wisdom. They called themselves wisdom worshipers. So I guess you could call them wise men, maybe in that sense. But they really were astrologers, practicers of magic from someplace in the east. Probably, probably Iran, because that's where the magi really came out of. They were not like the normal Jewish folks of Bethlehem or Judea. Remember how a few weeks back I said that Matthew was written primarily to a Jewish audience? And yet, he is the only one that includes the story of these pagan foreigners coming to visit the newborn Messiah. And I think that's intentional. You see, for some Jews, it was inconceivable that the Messiah would come for foreigners too. They were not like us. They weren't Jewish. How dare they think that the Messiah would come to them too? That he could come to Magi? Even the first Christians, who were also Jews, as was Jesus, even those Jewish Christians had a hard time accepting that God would want to save people that weren't like them, foreigners and pagans. In Acts chapter 11, Peter takes flack from the, the Jewish Christians friends of his, for, for eating foreign foods 
with non-Jewish people. Now, I don't know what they were eating. I, I doubt it was herring under a fur coat. But whatever it was, Peter's friends say, it's just not right. It's just not right for you to be eating with them, and it's just not right for you to be sharing the Messiah with them. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. The Christmas and the cross and salvation was for them, not for others. Here's what it says in chapter 11. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles, that's the the non-Jewish people, had received the word of God, but when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them, they said. And then Peter told them exactly what happened. And he explained how these Gentiles have believed in Jesus too and have received the Holy Spirit just like they did. And they're amazed that God would include even Gentiles in faith and eternal life. But eventually they celebrate that the Messiah has come for the foreigners too. Verse 18. When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. Really, they they shouldn't have been amazed because throughout the Bible, there, there are many places that point out that the Messiah is for everyone. Like Isaiah 60 that we just heard. Or Isaiah chapter 49 It says, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. And in Romans 9, Paul talks about Hosea's prophecy. It says, concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Hosea, Those who are not my people, I will now call my people. And I will love those whom I did not love before. And then at the place they were told, you're not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. In Galatians, it just flat out states that when it comes to God, all the distinctions that we make, all the differences between people melt away. Salvation is for everyone. Galatians 3:28 There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And sometimes we fall into the same trap that those early Jewish Christians did. We think that Jesus is really just for people like us. Just for people who have traditions like us, foods like us even weather like us. When I was a district superintendent, some of the towns in western Minnesota uh, were having an influx in Spanish-speaking people. And as they, these Hispanic families would, uh, would arrive in the town, they would want to have a church. And often the United Methodist Church would, would open up their building 
to allow these families to gather and worship in Spanish. And, and yet not all churches were, were excited. You see, one of the things that, that these, uh, these communities often did is they often had a potluck. And I don't mean like an occasional potluck. I mean every single Sunday. Because worshiping and being together went hand in hand and the foods as well. And so they might, they might start at the Spanish worship right after the, the English-speaking worship, but then there'd be the potluck, and they would be there all afternoon singing and praying and, and just conversing and, and sharing in the good food. And one of the, one of the churches I remember, the, the folks, uh, the English-speaking folks said, you know, we should get to know our brothers and sisters in Christ. And they, so they asked, you know, could we do occasionally a potluck together that we can all bring our favorite foods? And I remember being there on, on one of those Sundays, and it was fantastic. Now, you know, there was uh, tamales and tortillas, not just tater tot hot dish, and it was fantastic. And they had such a wonderful time getting to know each other so not, not every church that, that shared their space was quite so excited about it. There was, there was one church that, you know, it's fine for these folks to, to come and, and worship here, but do they have to have their potlucks? You know, they, they, they hang around here all afternoon, I mean, don't they know that you're supposed to go to church and then immediately leave and go to Applebee's like good Minnesotans do? And, you know, you can be in and out of church in an hour and you never have to use the restroom, but if you're here all afternoon, well, think of how much water's being used and how much electricity. I was a part of a conversation at one church where they were actually considering telling the Hispanic Christians they could use the church for worship, but they couldn't use the bathrooms because it used too much water. One church celebrated what God was doing in the lives of these people who had different culture and different customs from them, and the other church was resentful. But Peter and the, and the early Christians discovered that Jesus is for everyone, even for those who don't eat the right foods or have the right customs, even for those like the Magi who come from a far-off land, Iran even. What would, uh, would resurrection do if we had the opportunity to host Christians from another country in using our church? I would hope that we would be like that church that said, let's eat together. Let's get to know each other. Now, this isn't an announcement or anything. Nobody has uh, uh, approached me. Um, but I just wonder. Maybe someday somebody will. But we can still celebrate the fact that the Holy Spirit is reaching people around the world. Even if they're not worshiping in this kind of in this building, and even if we aren't having a potluck together with them after church today, we can still pray that the Holy Spirit has reached people across the world. 
that there are Christians in far-off lands, and especially even in places like Iran. And we can pray for them, even if we can't eat together. You know, the very first non-Jewish people to see the Messiah were probably from Iran, but even now it's tough to be a Christian there. I read recently what a 10-year-old girl named Aaliyah said about her family and her Christmas. They're Christians, but that can't be known where they live in Iran. And her family celebrates Christmas, but they have to do it not like we do it because they have to celebrate it on her birthday. Here's what she says. She said, we don't celebrate Christmas in December because we must always be extra careful in our neighborhood. We don't even decorate a Christmas tree in our home. We wait until January, and on my own birthday, we celebrate Christ's birthday. This way we don't raise suspicion, and all the celebratory noise doesn't sound unusual to our neighbors. It upsets me that we can't celebrate Christmas openly here. There are so many national holidays that celebrate things that aren't even true. But Jesus coming to the earth is true. Things certainly are different in other countries. But thank God that Jesus came for all of us. For Aaliyah and for you and for me. The Holy Spirit is still drawing people everywhere to Christ. So let's pray that for those people who live in places where they cannot celebrate Christmas openly, who won't be able to have Christmas trees and all the things that we have, let's pray for them. Pray that, that things will change in their country, that they would be able to, to celebrate Christmas openly. But even if they can't right now, let us pray that they can celebrate the Savior joyously and without fear no matter where they are, and no matter what they eat. May we give thanks to God that Jesus comes to people like us and people not like us. Let's pray. The Lord... How easy it is to forget that we were the outsiders. That we were not the original chosen people. That you came to Judea. To a Jewish family. And yet, you opened up the invitation to all of us to know you, to know salvation, to celebrate your birth and to experience the blessings of your death and resurrection. God, thank you for Christians everywhere. And we pray for those who are in places where it's hard to be a Christian. And that may be Iran. That may be places in other countries, but it's also places in this country. There are homes where it's hard to be a Christian. There are neighborhoods where it's difficult. But 
Lord, may your Holy Spirit continue to reach more and more people. The more and more people might know your joy and your blessing. And no matter how they celebrate Christmas and no matter what they eat, may they do it in thanks and in honor of you. In your name we pray.